Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. The Gospel account of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 9. I invite you to turn with me in your own Bible or in the Bible found there in the pews around you. In the Pew Bible, it can be found on pages 18 and 19 in the New Testament section. Hear now these words, Matthew 18, verses 1 through 9. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you If a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of stumbling blocks. Occasions for stumbling are bound to come. But woe to the one by whom the stumbling block comes. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or lame than to have two hands or two feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the hell of fire. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I give thanks for the opportunity to be with you this morning. Uh, Last Sunday, immediately following worship, my wife Jennifer and I got in the car and we drove to Asheville. Uh, I was participating in a conference. Pastor Corey was there for the first for the first few days of the conference, and then Jennifer and I stayed on for a few extra days and had an opportunity to enjoy the mountains and the fresh air and just some time away to be revitalized and rejuvenated. And so it was so good to be away in that sense. But at the conference, any time I go to something like this, I'm reminded of how thankful I am. There we hear about things and circumstances in other churches. And sometimes I think about, wow, I'm sure glad I don't have to deal with that. In fact, one of the pastors that we heard from is the pastor at First United Methodist Church in Los Angeles. And as she spoke, she talked about how at her church that they have no building at all. Believe it or not, they actually could not afford to maintain the building structures that they had. So they tore them down. And they have in downtown Los Angeles, they have a parking lot. And it is there that every Sunday morning that they worship. And then when they're not there for worship, they charge parking fees for people that are attending Lakers basketball games. And so they have a significant revenue stream. But I thought about that. Can you imagine all the time being dependent upon good weather for worship? But there they were really being reminded that the church is not a building. The church is a people. 
I was reminded of how as a child, you remember this, we learned how we'd put our hands together and we'd say, here is the church and here is the steeple, open up the doors and here are the people. Well, that was always really, it's sweet, but it's backwards. I always wanted to amend it to say, here is the building, the building with the steeple, open up the doors, the church is the people. And that's what I was reminded of when I learned about the church that had no building. I'm thankful for the buildings we have, but even more important, I'm thankful for the church, the church that you are, and the church that we continue to grow to become. So thank you for that time that we were able to spend being away, and it's so good to be back home. Let us pray. Lord, as we come into this time of worship today, we give thanks. We give thanks for the reminder once again the church, the body of Christ that nurtures us, teaches us, and exemplifies what it means to walk faithfully in your light. And today as we come together and we continue to be reminded of our baptismal covenant, Lord, we are reminded that through the waters of baptism, we are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation. Through the waters of baptism, we are washed clean. Through the waters of baptism, we are marked and we are claimed as a beloved child of God. Through the waters of baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that equips us and empowers us, enables us to truly renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and to oppose injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. So through the waters of baptism, may you replenish us once again today. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Fridays are the day that I like to take as my personal day, uh, uh, my own Sabbath, my day to unplug and be renewed in whatever ways that God is able to pour into me on that day. But the congregation that I was serving at the time knew that Friday was that day that I just really didn't answer the phone. I didn't do, I, I just was focused on taking care of me on that day, but it was one Friday. I answered the phone and I heard an urgent voice on the other end of the line. She asked me, have you heard the news? I did not know what news she was referring to, but she asked if I might come to their house quickly. And as I got to their house, I learned that their son, who I had developed a friendship with over the time that I was there, he had made a series of bad choices that had led to his arrest. And that day, their parents were grieving, grieving over what had happened, grieving and not understanding how this person had been raised in the church, 
They had gone, been brought up through the nursery. They were baptized there. They were taught Sunday school, vacation Bible school there. They had been a participant in youth group, had been to so many different youth retreats. They had been confirmed. They had come into their understanding of who they were called to be. They had even worked as a youth pastor at another church at a different time. But then through the series of bad choices, they had led to this point, which was the lowest point in that person's life. And trying to speak with the mother and the father who felt such blame and guilt for the choices that their child had eventually made. All I could do is try to just be present with them to continue to remind them of the grace that we hold to, the grace of Jesus Christ. During the time of incarceration of their child, I still had the opportunity to be in contact with this individual. And I loved getting to hear the story that there was one evening as they were spending their time in the jail cell, they found out that there was going to be a local pastor that was coming to the facility to offer a night of worship. And what better things did they have to do? So they decided to attend this particular service. And this pastor was speaking in such a way that it, it cut through all the things that had been built up within this person's life. In fact, the pastor was quoting from a book by A.W. Tozer when they mentioned about how so many times we say in the church that we accept Christ as their Savior. But that was not an appropriate word for what it is we do with Jesus. Because they said that when we accept things, we just receive them. Kind of like you accept all kinds of things. For example, you might accept what you've got to pay in your taxes this year. We don't like it, but we still accept it. We accept all kinds of things, but that's not what we do with Christ. This pastor spoke in that jail and said, what we do with Christ is we surrender. We fully and completely surrender. We die to self to live through Christ. And this person who had been brought up in the church, who had been nurtured, who had been taught, who had witnessed the examples of all those within the church, it finally spoke to him. I'll never forget the day that he was released. We had the opportunity to get together and to talk and to, to celebrate the, the freedom that he was now experiencing, not just freedom from incarceration, freedom from who he used to be as he had pursued a new life. He said, I remember him saying, whatever door God opens for me, I'm going to walk through. And I said, well, unfortunately, because of your past, there may not be as many doors as what you would hope. But I'm not going to say never. <laughs> never say never to what God can do. He asked me if that Sunday, if it would be okay for him to stand before the church, the church that had raised him from such a small time to where he was now. He said he wanted to stand in front of that church and apologize. I said, church is a place of grace. Church is a place of hope and restoration and reconciliation. It is not a place of condemnation. You don't have to apologize. That grace is already being extended to you by, by the church. And he said, but it's important for me. And so I recognized that at that particular time in the service, when we were going into the time of prayer, I invited that person forward. He came forward, and he gave witness to what had taken place. 
gave witness to the decisions that had led to the actions, that had led to the incarceration, that led to ultimately his being set free. And I promise you, there was not a dry eye in the building. Oh, the Holy Spirit was at movement. Before the service, he had asked if could he be baptized again that day to be symbolic of the way that he had died to self to live through Christ. The thing was, in the United Methodist Church, we believe in one baptism, that what God has done in baptism, God has placed this mark, a mark that does not get washed away. But we may break our vow, we may break our covenant, but God never breaks God's covenant. I said, so we may not baptize you again, but we can do a baptismal remembrance, a reaffirmation of the baptismal covenant. And so as my friend gave that witness and testimony and the spirit was moving in that church in a way that I had not seen before, I thanked him as he went to sit back down. And before long, before I could even move forward with the next part of the worship, somebody's hand shot up and said, I got something I want to say. <laughs> and so I invited them forward and they came forward and they stood and they gave witness and testimony to the power of God's healing and that they themselves had experienced in their life. And once again, tears were flowing. The spirit was moving. That person went back and sat down and and I addressed the congregation. I said, look, folks, I don't have to preach today, which brought great rejoicing. <laughs> Somebody else have something else you want to say. It, if you're familiar with the Quaker tradition, it sort of felt like that. And sure enough, someone else had gave witness and someone else gave witness. And it was a beautiful time of the Holy Spirit moving. And we were recognizing the way the body of Christ was there for one another, showing love, grace, and mercy to all that had entered into those doors. And we finally got to the conclusion of the service and we went through the reaffirmation of the baptismal covenant, which is something we ourselves are going to do today as the close of our service. And it was powerful because we were all reminded through the waters of baptism, something powerful happens. Something that goes beyond our own understanding. Something powerful happens. And we need to be reminded of that baptism. We need to be reminded of what God is doing in that baptism. We need to be reminded, but we are professing that we are doing in that baptism as well. And so for the past few weeks here at Orange, we've been taking the moment to look at the baptismal liturgy that we utilize in the United Methodist Church. The questions that are asked and the ways that we can live into that. And so we began with the very first question that is asked is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? You know what's funny is I have found ever since we addressed that first question a few weeks ago, I have been reminded so many times, I've heard it just randomly, I renounce thee Satan or things like that. I repent of my sins. I, I renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness. I've heard things like that in the TV, movies, whatever. It's been interesting. But in that, we've been reminded that when we say no to sin and evil, we're saying yes to Christ. We're saying we live through Christ. That second question we dealt with was, do you accept the freedom and power that God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Again, that you're accepting yes, saying yes to Christ means you're accepting that help that God offers. 
The problem is, so many times we may say yes, and yes, we accept that help, but I am a stubborn person. You may not be, so this may not relate to you. But I get stubborn, and I think that I can do it on my own. I don't need somebody else's help. And so I try to do it all by myself. It reminds me of one time at the hospital. I was visiting with an elderly couple in the hospital. as His wife was there in such sickly condition. But as we were decided it was time to leave, I was going to walk with her husband out to the parking lot. And as we were navigating through the parking lot, there was one particular part that was a little bit tricky and had a big step down that he had to take. And as he was older and a bit feeble himself, he took that step and he just about fell. I reached out and I grabbed hold of his arm to try to keep him from falling. You know what he did? He shook my arm off and said, boy, I don't need your help. As a 40-year-old, it felt good affirming to be called boy. It did not feel good to have my help turned down. I can't imagine the number of times God is there ready to offer the help to us in our time of need. When we say we got it. You know, when we, part of our baptismal covenant so we're saying, I accept the help, the freedom, the power that God gives me in all that we endure. Last week, Pastor Corey led us to think through what it means when we answer the question, do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior? To put your whole trust in his grace and to promise to serve him as your Lord and union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, race, nations, and races. She reminded us that in this we are accepting our identity that Christ has put upon us as a beloved child of God. Now today's question, the last question that we deal with as a part of our baptismal liturgy, is a question that is typically asked for, of the parents or sponsors who might be presenting a child for baptism, or even a younger child that has decided that they themselves sought to be baptized. And so this is a question that is no longer addressed just to the candidate or regarding the candidate. This question is actually turned around onto the congregation. See, you as the body of Christ, you play an important role in baptism. Because when somebody is being initiated, which is what baptism is, when you're being initiated into something, the body of Christ has got to be present so that they can be initiated into that. That's why we don't do, public, uh, we don't do private baptisms, which was very complicated during the time of the pandemic when everything was shut down and we could not worship in person. We still had some baptisms. We'd have the family come. We'd try to have some representatives of the body of Christ to be present. But we made sure that we recorded each one of those. And on that Sunday, we would share that live stream worship so that all people who were a part of the church worshiping with us in that moment could be a part of that. Because this is a communal thing. And this is a question that is not addressed to the candidate. It is not a question that is addressed to the parents or the, or the, the sponsors of that candidate for baptism. This is a question that is addressed to the congregation. Because as you are accepting this person into baptism, you are accepting a commitment. And here is that commitment. Will you nurture these children or persons into Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life. What I like about this one is the first three questions are do you questions. Do you do this? This question, which is turned around onto the congregation, is a will you. 
It's no longer about what you're doing just for a moment. It's a promise you're making. A promise moving forward. Here and now and moving forward. Will you? Will you nurture this child or these persons? That word nurture, it's a word that just simply means to care for or encourage the growth or development of. When I think of that word nurture and the way that encouraging the growth or development of, I think of uh, my house plants. I, I like to have house plants around my house. I've got this, uh, these snake plants that I've had to ask Debbie about. Debbie is a master gardener, if you didn't know this. No? Close enough. Your, your thumb's a lot greener than mine. And so every time I'll have to check with Debbie Pence about how do I handle this, I've got these snake plants that I was just asking her at Sunday school what to do because they're about to hit the ceiling in the room that they're in. They're so huge. But you know what? One of my favorite plants that I like to nurture, it's a plant that I received from this congregation. The month before I became the pastor here, my mother passed away unexpectedly. He sent a peace lily to honor my mother's life. That peace lily has become something. It's continued to grow and grow. And I promise you, I look at that peace lily every day. I give thanks for my mother and I give thanks for you. I've asked Debbie about having, how do I replant this thing, repot it, because it's gotten so big, it's continued to grow and grow, and I tend to it, I make sure it gets just the right amount of water, I put it in the right spot, I even open up the blinds when I don't want that much sun coming in, but I know the peace lily does, and so I have it right there in the right spot. I love to nurture and to watch it grow. Sometimes that means uprooting, sometimes that means repotting, sometimes that means making a sacrifice, sitting in a brighter room than what I may want. As the body of Christ, you nurture. You nurture those children, those youth, those young adults. We sacrifice. We, we experience something so that they may be able to have the room to grow. Sometimes that means uprooting. Sometimes that means repotting. But we are committed to nurturing that child so that and that person, so they may fully come to understand this faith that we try to teach, that we try to set it as an example before them. And I give thanks that you as a church are so faithful to that. And not just you as a church. I think of, in my life, the experience I had of churches nurturing me and my faith. Some of you know that I am a PK, a preacher's kid, or to use maybe more contemporary terms, I am a T.O., a theological offspring. <laughs> my mother had to endure sitting on a pew with my sister, who was two and a half years older than me and myself. And my sister was always the perfect preacher's kid, so I had to be the typical preacher's kid. I was the one that would find a way to squirm away from my mother and crawl underneath the pews. And every now and then I might get to someone who would pull me up, dust me off, and firmly sit me down beside them. I even preached a homecoming at a church not far from here, about 20 minutes from here, Concord United Methodist Church. That I preached a homecoming a few years ago, and they were telling me a story that I don't remember. They were saying, oh yeah, we remember that Sunday that we had to pull you out of the window at the back of the church because you were trying to climb out the back. <laughs> Thank goodness the people that nurtured me, that dusted me off, that set me on the pew, that pulled me out of the window. I am so thankful for the people who welcomed me into a nursery so my mother could have a moment of peace in worship. 
I'm so thankful for those Sunday school teachers who taught me how to pray the Lord's Prayer and put up with my incessant questions. I'm thankful over the years for those youth workers who endured sleepless nights because I would not go to sleep. And yet they gave it up to show me the love and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. They nurtured a faith that when I was ready to return, when I was ready to come back to Christ, they nurtured a faith that was ready to be repotted, replanted. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. And I've even witnessed it in my life as my wife and I got married and returned to the church and ultimately had children. And I give thanks for the ways that I've witnessed people nurture my children throughout the church. I think of very specific names such as Miss Joy, who witnessed my wife struggling with two active boys who were very much like their father at that age. And Miss Joy, who could see the frustration upon Jennifer's face. So she took them up in a church that had no nursery. Miss Joy started a nursery so that my wife could experience that peace, but so my boys could also experience what it means to grow. I'm reminded of Mr. Russell. Mr. Russell, who saw value and worth in my children, who sought out to get to know them in such a way that they themselves would begin to see their own value and worth. And even today, when we watch back old Christmas movies of Christmas morning, seeing the gifts that Mr. Russell would give to my boys when they were young and the joy that that was brought, brought to them. I think of Miss Connie. Miss Connie, who taught them through mission trips and mission work what it meant to be a, a difference maker in the lives of other people nearby and afar. Miss Connie, who gave of herself so much that they were able to learn and understand what it meant to, to love and to be loved. And I think of Miss Rhonda, who as they were teenagers, through her leadership, they were able to learn what it meant to live a faith out loud. There are so many that I can think of who helped nurture me, helped nurture my children as they grew. And that's what makes me thankful for this church. For you continue to take so seriously that nurturing, that teaching, that exemplifying of faith so that our children, our young people, our young adults who may come from campus, those within our community who walk through these doors, and they may not look like anyone else in, that walks in this room, but everyone that does, you nurture them and welcome them and receive them into this community. I'm so thankful for that, especially when I read Jesus' words that I shared just a little earlier. You know, I, I love the passage when Jesus says, let the little children come unto me. But here, in this particular passage in the Gospel account of Matthew, the disciples ask, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That's when Jesus said, has a child come unto him. And he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and talks about what it means to be those that might not nurture, the opposite of nurture, those that create a stumbling block. And that it would be better for those that create a stumbling block in front of the littlest of ones, or those who are young in their faith, childlike in their faith, coming. Those that put a stumbling block, it'd be better for them to put a millstone around their neck and be thrown into the depths of the seas. Friends, I'm so thankful you're not a millstone church. 
I'm so thankful that you're a church that's removing stumbling blocks. I'm so thankful that you're a church that is going to intentionally nurture, teach, and equip, and then be an example for all that may come seeking to know the love of Jesus Christ. May we, as we are reminded of our baptism today, seek to find the ways that we are called to nurture. Nurture one another in our faith, that it would be something we actively live every day as we seek to live into that covenant. Today, I give thanks for the ways that you do nurture, teach, and exemplify the faith we share together. Let us pray. Lord, today I give thanks for the ways that you do receive us. Just as we are. But through the waters of baptism, we are transformed and made new. We died to self to live through Christ. We're marked. We are called beloved. Today, may we intentionally seek to find the ways that we may continue to nurture as children, as youth, young adults, young in faith, those that are seeking to become more like you. May we be intentional in the ways that we give them that nurture that we have committed ourselves to. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.